What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Living Electric. I uh, feel like we haven't talked in a while. We had our last episode with uh, with Hevo that went really well, and then we took, like, uh, I feel like a longer break than normal, but it's only been five days, so I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, but we're back. Um, we just wrapped up uh, Earth Day here in Columbus, so we're going to touch on kind of my experience there, some of the cars I saw, people I interacted with, that sort of thing. Um and then Brandon will get a chance to grill me with some more engineering questions because <laughs> we're going to chat about <laughs> kind of EV charging, you know, what the process is like from an engineering perspective and just like a, you know, permitting project management perspective of putting stuff in the ground because I think it's a lot more in depth than a lot of people realize and takes a lot longer than people realize. So, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that because I feel like that's a process that I'm still a little unfamiliar with. So yeah. I'm excited to learn more about that. Yeah. And, but. and like, there's no shame in that either. Cause like, it's not something you should really ne- necessarily have to be familiar with if you don't work <laughs> in that industry. Like so you just see, you know, construction going on and you're like, Oh, they must've started working on something. Like yes. <laughs> you don't always see the, <laughs> don't always see the background on stuff. So. Well, yeah. I, I'm excited to learn about it. As somebody who does work in the industry, I should right. probably know a little <laughs> bit about it. Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, well, tell us about your Earth Day experience. I'll, I'll just be transparent before you start. I did not attend any event this year. <laughs> uh, we are <laughs> prepping to sell our house, so we've been extremely busy with that. But um, I know uh, Drive Electric Northeast Ohio had, I think they had three events, and one wow. actually had 45 vehicles show up, which okay. is actually the largest that the group up here has ever seen. Um, so props to them. That's, yeah. uh, that's good. It turned out that way. But yeah, that's pretty I want to hear about yours, because yours looked huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ours was decent sized. I think we had around 15-ish vehicles, um, and it's oh, at... Wow. It's at Genoa Park in Columbus, which is right by Kosai, if you've been to Columbus, like right on the river there, like beautiful, like set up too, because you can like, you look out and see the city right next to you, which is really neat. Um, But yeah, we had a lot of vehicles there and it's part of like the actual, you know, like Earth Day celebration in Columbus. So that's kind of what we tag along to. Oh, cool. always nice doing those events too, because we don't have just like a bubble of ev people it's like more people that are you know haven't maybe haven't seen an ev or haven't interacted with ev drivers like you get a more of a mix of people walking by which is really nice so you get you know more interesting questions sometimes you're not just talking about the same stuff like people are curious about your car which is great like that's that's the part i like about the events is kind of the the outreach if you will of showing Mm -hmm. non-ev drivers what it's like driving one so that part was really cool yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like that's a great setting just to have every everybody walk up. Right, like, right. I, I feel like some of those events, they tend to be a bit siloed. So it's really cool to be in a in a park right. setting like that. Exactly. So uh, how many how many estimated people do you think like walk through throughout the day? Oh, gosh. I think last year, Mariah said we had, I think, like 10,000 walk through, like at least walk past everything. Not necessarily stop, wow. but at least like walk through and see us, which is insane. So I'd imagine we ha- probably had a little bit less this year because it was like supposed to rain and it was a little chillier. Um, yeah. The weather ended up turning out beautiful, though. Like it only rained for like a short time and then we were back, you know, with our windows open and doors open and everything and it was fine. So oh, that's great. <laughs> it was that part was nice. Um, but yeah, we had a ton of people like definitely one of our higher like visibility events um so we had like i said i think we had 15 or 16 vehicles 
last year it was basically all Teslas. I think we had like six or seven Teslas there. That completely flipped this year, and we had six or seven Rivians there instead of Teslas. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we had That's I think incredible. we had five R1Ts and an R1S there. So oh, nice. That nice. was like the majority of our vehicles, which was really cool. Like I hadn't seen that many Rivians together ever. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it, I, I, it still blows my mind that Cleveland is the city that got the Rivian Service Center and the yeah. Delivery Center. I, yeah. I felt like Columbus might have been a little bit of a better market for that, but that's still cool that you guys had s- such a large population of Rivians pop right. up. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it, that, that part was cool. Um, it was interesting, too, because obviously, like, I'm a Tesla owner, and I'm kind of used to the, like, Tesla group of people. Um, not that Rivian people are, like, different or there's any, like, clicks or anything, but... <laughs> the the like uh the feeling around being a rivian owner right now at least like talking with a couple of them it felt like early earlier like tesla days like that's what it feels like right now so they're doing like you know they're gonna do owners groups they're doing like meet their own meetups and it's like they're very much the the like new cool kids on the block kind (laughs) of thing in the ev space that's cool (laughs) which is really neat i mean like any kind of excitement around that is really cool i think so. For sure. So out of those Rivians, how many how many of them were new EV drivers? Like that was their first EV. Um, I didn't talk to all of them, but the couple I talked to, um, it was their it was their first EV. So like had been looking at you know a truck or had been looking at a bigger car and then decided to go with the Rivian. Um, so I did like I said I didn't talk to everybody, but I assume it's probably fifty fifty. Um, Got it. One of them's like a former Tesla owner. A um, couple of them, it was just their first car or first like major vehicle purchase or major like expensive vehicle purchase, I guess, wow. <laughs> and went with the Rivian. So it was definitely a mix, which is which is interesting, but still skewing towards, I think, first EV, which is pretty wild. So, Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so I, I do have a question for the people who walked through that, like, you know, weren't EV drivers or, you know, like, we're like EV curious. What, what were some of the questions you received from some of them? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of the basic stuff. I think I always try to like be, you know, friendly up front. I'm like, Hey, do you have any questions? Like, I don't want to bother people if they literally just want to look. So I'm like, do you have any (laughs) questions? Like anything I can answer for you? Like most people are like, no, I'm just looking. But a few of them are like, I was actually impressed because most of them that actually like took us walk around my car or other cars were like we're actively looking at an ev right now we just like this is our first time seeing one you know in person kind of up close oh wow um so that was really exciting i think that's continued to you know progress it used to be like oh maybe my next car oh probably not right now to you know now we're most people are at least considering one as their next vehicle so that was definitely the um the overarching kind of theme is most people were seriously looking at one as their next vehicle um, so, you know, I answered questions about, you know, maintenance, like how's it held up over the years, charging, all that kind of stuff. Um, I usually lead with the, the maintenance piece. If people don't have any like major questions, I'm like, oh yeah, I've had this, you know, 60,000 miles. I've only had to change tires and air filters. I had a couple repairs, but those were under warranty, like stuff like that just kind of answers those, <laughs> those initial <laughs> questions or, or skepticism about, about the vehicle. So. Oh, that's awesome. So before we get to the main topic, I actually wanted to ask you as well. So those 
you know, the, the people who were interested in looking at EVs, did they know about this event ahead of time or did they just stumble upon it? Most people knew about it already because it wasn't like, like it is in Columbus. So we just get random people, you know, going about their day, going to work out or something. But like, it is also like a pretty big event. So you kind of had to know it was happening ahead of time. So people had their families there, couples were there, like all that kind of stuff. So definitely like groups of people walking by sometimes. So yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of people that just accept, expected to show up. Um, I don't know if anybody, everybody always knows that like there's a bunch of EVs here, but it's pretty, you, you can't really miss us. So <laughs> we've got probably the biggest, you know, block of, of cars there, block of um, things there. Cause they have like yeah. food trucks lining everywhere. They have um, like tents with all kinds of activities for kids and stuff. Like it's oh, a cool. big event. Yeah. It's not just, you know, drive electric stuff, but we've got the, we've got a pretty sizable section. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Well, we'll be there for next year's event. So yeah, yeah, we're excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, should we move on to the main topic of today? Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm really to excited think... to dig into this. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of where to start this or how to set this up, but I guess the the main thing I'll say before we get into it is like I think this definitely goes like unnoticed in a lot of the just EV construction or EV infrastructure discussions is like how long a lot of this stuff takes like it's easy to say oh no like why can't we install you know a fast charger in a couple months like that like just looking at the construction you know digging some things up adding some new wires and conduit and doing all that stuff why can't that be done in a couple months and like you're right like it should theoretically be that quick but there's a lot more that goes into it and you know if you've ever run a project or worked in you know engineering or design or anything like stuff takes way longer than <laughs> you probably expect. <laughs> oh yeah. So, that's I, permits I'll just, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just preface with that that like anything like any timeline you're probably thinking about like double it and that'll probably get you close to the actual <laughs> actual time it will take to do everything. So <laughs> Well, do you want to start from the beginning? I mean, like, obviously, we don't have to, like, you know, go super in-depth with this, but it might yeah. be to start at the beginning to the complete install. Yeah, so, like, I guess step one of, like, we'll just use, I guess it could be any charging site, but, like, step one is really figuring out, you know, where are these chargers going to go? Like, not only, you know, in a physical, like, city, like a large kind of macro scale, but also, like, a smaller scale on a specific property. Like where are these chargers going to be installed? I think that's step one. So like part of my job sometimes is not necessarily going out to site, but getting pictures from, you know, a site host to say, Oh, here's our electrical panel. Like, could we fit them here? Could we fit, fit them here? Like just those initial kind of discussions to figure out, is there physical space for this equipment? Is there, you know, electrical space for this equipment? Like where can we, you know, physically fit these? Um, and also where does it make sense for drivers as well? So like we see with a lot of charging installs right now, sometimes they stick them at, you know, the very front of the property, which is great for, you know, tying into their electrical room, but then you're potentially blocking, you know, handicap spots or blocking, you yeah. know, more, um, I guess like higher use spots for people that are coming and going quickly versus an EV driver that might be parked there longer. So there's yeah. a lot of give and take with, you know, where in the parking lot it goes. And we've also seen the opposite where you throw it at the complete back of the parking lot because that's the easiest place to get utilities in. 
and then you've got you know EV drivers walking 150 yards to get into a store. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it, it gotta really, get your steps in. <laughs> yeah, it really can go either way, and there's a lot of like considerations around that. Um, and like again, if you're looking at kind of the the engineering design, you know, site survey process, sometimes it's choosing you know the lesser of two evils. You've got to give and take with some of the stuff. There's not always a perfect place to put charging, so sometimes that's why you see those weird installs where it's like, why did they put a charger here? It's like, well, maybe based on their budget or based on other factors, like that's the only place they really could do it. It was either there or not at all. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that's another thing to kind of keep in mind there. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I feel like we've stumbled upon all types of different installs. And right. I, I think, you know, like the more experience that I have on site with like, you know, at least charging at a location, I need to yeah. be more mindful of where like transformers are, you know, where the equipment is. Right. And just kind of get like an understanding of what this layout is like. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, there's definitely some instances where, like, the charging station's right up front and it's always blocked by, you know, like, a non-EV or a car that's <laughs> right. not charging or whatever. Right. And then, yeah, I've had examples where, like, Electrify America puts it in the way back corner of a Walmart parking lot. Yeah. And when you got to use the bathroom and you got to walk <laughs> all the way there, it's, yeah, <laughs> it can yeah. be a struggle. So I, I'm thinking, um, and, and I don't want to control this conversation just because I'm kind of in the dark with it, but <laughs> I think it would be interesting to talk from both like level two installs and DC fast chargers, because I'm sure there's yeah. some similarities and differences depending on which ones. And I, right. I have some dumb, dumb questions <laughs> uh, that I want to ask you for both. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Do you want to yeah. start with level two? Yeah. So for level two or AC charging installs, like it's, it's generally pretty easy. Like I think people don't really realize like how simple pieces of equipment those are. Like it really doesn't take a ton of like effort, if you will, or, or complicated stuff to install AC chargers. You're essentially installing like a switch that turns power on and off for a vehicle. So it's not too complicated. Um, the nice thing about AC installs is generally the power on site is already set up for those kind of chargers. So like they run at, you know, 28 or 240 volt, um, which is kind of, you know, common house power in the United States. So most locations can accommodate an AC charger. Mm -hmm. That is the, that is the nice part. Um, that's also why we see those, you know, more often out in public right now. Like we don't see as many DCs, but you may see a random, you know, AC charger just thrown somewhere because they could fit it. <laughs> there was space in the panel. They had a free spot, something like that. Way easier to just deploy pretty quickly. Um, if you flip to the DC side, that's where it gets more complicated because you're, you know, bringing more power in. You mentioned like sticking it at the back of a Walmart parking lot. That's probably because they had to bring in not only the charging equipment and needed space for that, but also the transformer and also ne probably needed a new utility tap. Um, so just on that piece alone, another thing like you've got to consider during the site survey is like, do we need more electrical equipment outside of the physical chargers themselves? Like, do we need space for another transformer pad? Like, do we need space for switch gear? Do we need space for all this other stuff? Like, those are all things you have to consider with the DC install um, that you don't really have to think about as much with with AC. So gotcha. that's, re that's really the main difference between the two. Um, and then also like, Anytime you get a utility involved and you need like additional power, if you will, that also prolongs things a lot because you're not only depending on, you know, electricians to do the physical work on site, you're also depending on 
your local utility to either bring more power to the site. Sometimes they own the transformer. Um, so they have to, you know, install that. That's not something you can just buy and plug in. <laughs> like they yeah. actually have to come out and install all that stuff. So that can also add to, you know, the project timelines. So anytime you're deploying okay. DC, it's going to be, you know, a much longer process. Gotcha. And then we see, and then we see that all the time. Like I see people post online, like, oh, why isn't this charger install up? These chargers have been in the ground for six months or something like that. And it's usually because they're waiting on a transformer. So you may see all the equipment at, at the site, but then there's like a couple conduit, like those PVC pipes sticking out of the ground. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're waiting to, they're waiting to add that transformer. Like that's, that's sometimes what they're waiting on. Um, and that's been a big issue over the past, you know, 18 to 24 months in the industry is getting those transformers for DC charging. So that's holding up a lot of these projects right now. <laughs> gotcha. Is that due to like a supply like yeah. supply chain issues. Yeah, it's okay. just a supply chain thing. And like a lot of these EV charging installs, the type of transformer they use like wasn't necessarily a very common transformer. So mm. or at least wasn't deployed a ton. So now like a ton of people are there's this rush to buy this same type of transformer that every EV charging install is using and the production just hasn't caught up with how many we need. So um yeah, it's it takes a lot of time. And I actually, when I worked at AEP here in Columbus, I got to tour a transformer factory and like those take a while to make, like, it's not something they can churn out in a couple weeks. Like it's months of building a transformer sometimes. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's just, it's just something that takes time to ramp up. And like, we're seeing that real time now with a lot of these projects is it's taking time to, you know, meet the production capacity we need to deploy all this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got to put that diesel generator in there somewhere. So, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> we so still need I, to do our. Uh, we still need to do our walk of a. Uh, we should do like a live podcast where we like walk a charging site. We and walk should through everything. I think we talked about yeah. that in the past, but that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, well, I actually haven't really made an official announcement. So if you're 20 some minutes into our podcast, <laughs> I'm, I'm, moving, I'm moving to Columbus so we could do some in person recording. Yeah, woo. that's right. I actually realized I haven't made an announcement there. So, <laughs> um, anyways, we'll just let people stumble upon that little Easter egg. But <laughs> um, so just to take a, a step back, you mentioned um, three key terms that I think we should just define just in case if people don't know what they mean. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned transformer. Uh, utility tap, and, and that might just be a general word usage, yeah. just correct me. And then there's also switch switch gear, right? Is that what you had mentioned? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Do you mind just defining those? Yeah. Yeah. So you said transformer first. So transformers basically just take, you know, a certain type of power and transform it into another type of power. So it could be in any, you know, form you'd like, but generally for these transformers, it's taking, um, at least for, at charging sites, it's taking higher voltage and dropping it down to lower voltage. So mm. I won't get into all the physics of that. You're welcome to look that stuff up about transformers work. <laughs> um, but that's essentially what it's doing. It's taking higher, you know, higher voltage, stepping it down to lower voltage. Um, and I said power, that was probably a little bit incorrect. Um, the power in is always equal to power out. There is some like losses there, but like if you have a, you know, I'll just use like a 750 kVA transformer, for example, if you have 750 kVA from the grid, it's going to output around, you know, 750 kVA out, no matter, you mm -hmm. know, 
no matter what voltage it is, it's going to do the conversion, I guess, to, to convert it. Um, so those 750 kVA transformers are like, that would be the equivalent of like 750 kilowatts, I guess, of power. It's pretty Got it. similar. So, okay. But yeah, it'll take like high voltage, which is usually for those sites, like around 13,000 volts, and it'll step it down to like 480 volts. So it's, it's wow. just doing that step down basically. Okay. And is that, where does the switch gear tie into that? So the switch gear is just kind of a general, you know, catch all for like the disconnects or like breakers, like all of the protective equipment, I guess, um, or a lot of that stuff for sites. So like anytime you have an expensive piece of electrical equipment, you have something protecting it. So it's generally like a circuit breaker or a, I call it switch gear, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like that realm of stuff. So similar to your house where you have, you know, all of your outlets in one room are tied back to like a circuit breaker in your electrical panel. That would be like a, a similar to a switch gear, if you will, where mm, it has all that okay. stuff in it. So, yeah. Okay. I just, I never heard that term before, so yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, I got to like triple check that of what switch gear means exactly, but <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure that's like, it's a, it's kind of a catch all for a lot of that stuff, but yeah. So it's, it's all the like, yeah, broad term for, um, switching devices that fulfill controlling, protecting and isolating power systems. Yeah. So I got, I had it right. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the, like our electrician or electrical nerd listeners to call me out. So yeah. <laughs> and I'm over here like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's good. <laughs> so, okay. So I do have an example and I think you, what would, was the, you did I miss to... a term? Oh, did I, a uh, utility tap, to... utility tap. Yeah. So yeah. utility tap, Jeez, Whoa. my cat's like jumping all over my lap the whole time. Dude, parkour. <laughs> um, yeah, so utility tap is basically like, so like an example would be at your home, like you generally have, a, I just call it a utility tap is a, another kind of general term, but like the tap coming from, you know, the main power line outside your house to your actual home, that would be like your tap, if you will, runs through your meter, goes to the rest of your house, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. At charging sites, especially the higher powered ones, sometimes they require a completely new tap. So you can't use, you know, mm -hmm. the existing utility tap on site either because it doesn't have, have enough capacity or like your chargers are going to be have to be on a separate meter or whatever else. Sometimes you need to bring in, you know, a whole nother line from the utility line going past your business or whatever to install charging. So that would be a new tap, if you will. Got it. Okay. So that, yeah. that's pretty literal. Than yeah, you say it that it's way. pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, just from examples that I've seen with like charging stations that just kind of like sit there for a while waiting to go live. Um, there's been a lot of examples where like the transformer will be there, but a lot of the stations are just waiting on like the meter to be installed. Um, <laughs> yeah. How, how does that tie into the install? So like, obviously I know that the meter is utilized to monitor how much electricity is being used right. at like a specific location. Obviously, you know, all homes have meters, so, you know, you yeah. can monitor it that way. Some are smart, right. some are not. Um, how does that tie into a EV charging install? Yeah, so that specific situation could be a few things, you know, it could not be there because the, you know, the utility doesn't have any meters or they're like waiting on them to be produced and they just mm. literally don't have any more to install. 
Or it could also be, you know, a, a paperwork or permitting or whatever issue where it's like, hey, this site's already, but it hasn't passed, you know, this inspection or it hasn't passed, you know, like we haven't approved it yet for whatever reason. Um, there's a lot that goes on in the utility space, especially on the, the distribution side in terms of like tracking, you know, power usage and like needs of the general public from a power perspective of like, this specific area needs this much power, this this area needs this much power. So like anytime you add a new, you know, especially an EV charging install, you add like a ton of power <laughs> in one spot, <laughs> it has a, a ripple effect on other things in the area. Um, so they may let, like, that may not be necessarily like them waiting on a meter, but it may be them waiting to, you know, reconfigure some of the other things on the grid in the area. So... Got try it. not to okay. try not to dive down the rabbit hole too too far here, but like on the distribution side, there are a ton of um, reclosers. Generally, um, is kind of the the industry term for them. So like if you've ever been at your house and like power's gone out for like a second and then like flickered back on instantly, yeah, and stays on just because it that's called like a recloser is like kind of coming into effect so it's noticed oh, that there's some it's noticed that there's some sort of issue on the grid maybe a tree fell on a line or something it can reclose and say oh like that that branch just fell past the line it didn't actually you know damage it so it can reclose and you know get that line back up and running and you have no issues to your power hmm. a lot of those settings are based on um the load on these different circuits on a kind of a local level so if you do add, you know, a bunch of charging in one site, all of those settings need to be changed because <laughs> that load has now been been adjusted in that area. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So anytime, you know, like this is a lot of what I did at AEP was like those kind of settings, not on the distribution side, but like the higher power side. Anytime you change stuff on the grid, a new line goes in, a new, you know, a new building goes in, any of that stuff changes, you've got to adjust a lot of the settings in the area. And that can take, you know, <laughs> that could take weeks. It could take months, depending on how many settings need changed, all that stuff. So, wow. Okay. So yeah. a lot of the picture's becoming clearer as to why certain <laughs> sites just kind of remain offline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, easy to say again, like it's easy to say, like why is this just sitting here? Like, and you don't yeah. have all this background stuff of like this. That site probably took like a year or more to get to the point where it's at right now. And that might have only been, you know, the construction side, getting through permitting, all that stuff. So <laughs> there's way more that still has to go on on the electrical side to, to make all that happen. Oh. I'm beginning to realize why Tesla is so quick with getting superchargers installed. Um, I know, obviously, mm -hmm. a lot of the manufacturing they control in-house for both right. the charging equipment, you know, as well as like transformers and, mm -hmm. and so forth. But... Um, Man, that's that's nuts. Now that I understand <laughs> that, I could see why certain things sit there. But yeah. um, if only it was as simple as just plugging into like a three prong outlet and it just, right. like, you know, <laughs> they're on, <laughs> boot it up, <laughs> they're on. Yeah. Where's the power switch on these? Well, yeah. like similar example, it could be like you know, um, let's just take your house for example. Let's say you want to add you know three more EV chargers, or like you want to add a hot tub, or you you're adding a, an addition to your home that's going to have more lights and fans or whatever else. And, you know, your electrician comes in and says, oh, like your panel isn't big enough. 
It's like, yeah. okay, that's now going to prolong, you know, that construction of that addition or whatever else, because you're not only doing that addition, like adding more things, but you're also upgrading your electrical panel, potentially rewiring things. Um, you then have to get your utility involved because it's like, oh, I'm adding, I'm upgrading to a 400 amp panel. Can your, you know, can this distribution line handle it? Like <laughs> it starts to kind of go up the ladder as you, you know, add more power and do more things. So, yeah. Wow. I'm beginning to realize just in general how important it is to understand how this stuff works. Yeah. Not just from like an <laughs> EV, you know, perspective, but just from like an everyday, I don't know, like human interacting with electricity in some right. form. <laughs> like you should probably understand this. I think so. I think a lot of people just take it for granted. Like they just right. don't pay attention to it. Right. Um, I, I do have a question for you. So you mentioned like whenever... Uh, you know, like a high powered DC fast charger goes live, it does create like a ripple effect throughout, you know, the grid in that area or, you know, like, I, I'm just, I don't know if that's the proper way to say it, but yeah, yeah. Ha have you ever from experience had a fast charger go live and it just massively messed up everything or like something <laughs> had to be like shut off? Um, I'm assuming that's why some, when some chargers go online, sometimes they go offline because it messed something yeah. up that they weren't expecting. Um, and not, I'm saying that as loosely as possible, but <laughs> yeah, so not me personally, cause I haven't been, you know, on the utility side of, uh, DC charging install. Yeah. Um, I will say generally how this is just, you know, in general, not always, um, how utilities handle that sometimes when there are like ripple effects, if you will, um, is they will charge like ridiculously high like demand charges. I don't know if you've heard that term before mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah. you're pulling a ton of demand right now. So we're going to start charging you, you know, $5 a kilowatt hour instead of 10 cents a kilowatt hour. <laughs> <laughs> so generally that's kind of how they get around that. We're like, you can, you know, pull a ton of power right now. You're welcome to, but we're going to charge you for it. So yeah. that's, you know, kind of how utilities get around a lot of the like extra usage and stuff like that to avoid, you know, brownouts or blackouts or just completely taking people offline. They'll just start charging people a ton of money. Like that's a pretty good motivator for a lot of people <laughs> to say, okay, <laughs> let's shut our stuff yeah. off or else we're going to get charged a ton of money. Um, so like the, just an example I know of off offhand is um, Easton here in Columbus, big shopping center. They have a couple fast chargers on site when they hit like peak hours of the chart, the shopping center on Saturdays, when there's a ton of people there, everybody's, you know, using energy, the lights are on, fans are running, it's the summer, AC's running, like all that stuff. Yeah. They will literally put a gate and block off the fast chargers so people don't use oh, them. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. of those demand charges. So like, that's a quick way for them to be like, hey, we've already hit our limit, are already spending a ton on energy, like we can't charge vehicles right now, because it would just, you know, it would cost us way too much. So. Wow, that's a. Uh... Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think of like some follow up questions, because I, I can see how some people might feel like because I've seen it all the time like the misconception that like with EVs it allows people to be controlled in some yeah. aspect like you you kind of see it all the time especially like yeah. on Facebook <laughs> and um I I can see the understanding where if like you pulled up and like a DC fast chargers uh gated off yeah because there's well the thing is is that like I'm not sure if they actually like put up like a signage or like any type of explanation they to do why I those... think okay. I think it's I don't know what it says exactly but it says like temporarily unavailable to, to due to power constraints or something like that but okay 
again okay. that then kind of leads into the misconception of like why do we even install these these are taking down the grid like all this stuff but yeah. it's like i mean easton probably just needs more power quite honestly if they're <laughs> going to continue to add buildings and do all this stuff like they probably need more yeah. capacity there so yeah yeah this is this is where i'm just gonna you know kind of jump back to what i said earlier <laughs> a basic understanding of how electricity works i think would really help people understand yeah. that it's not a form of control it's just mm -hmm. how things work yeah and things are just going to improve you know as we start you know pr providing and building more resistance or not resistance i'm sorry uh resiliency resiliency thank you yeah. I, my coffee's <laughs> not kicking in yet but um yeah more resiliency yeah uh you know to the, to the grid right. um so i i wish that they would teach that in high school as well yeah. as taxes <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever no but this is all very useful and like uh good knowledge to know i mean this is all stuff that like i had no idea that that's how things played out because right. i was kind of in the same boat where like if something's sitting there for a year why isn't this online yet yeah and it exactly. makes it makes sense mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense yeah so if we jump back to kind of the we talked about kind of the like site survey spot like after you pick out a spot like what happens next like all right we've got our you know we're putting chargers here that's what's what we've decided um what happens next after that so once that is decided it would then go to like design and engineering so that means you know actual electrical engineers like i am one but i'm not a licensed one so like it would have to be you know a licensed engineering company they're going to go out to the site, not only do, you know, civil design, designing the parking lot, potentially saying, oh, like, there's utilities already in this area, we can tap off here. They look into that stuff way more in depth than, like, an initial site survey by somebody like me or just a, another employee would do. Um, they'll look at it from, you know, civil perspective, if they're tearing stuff out of the ground, putting new stuff in the ground, how does that affect water flow, all that stuff. Um electrical side you know where do, where can we drill and put conduit in is there a water pipe we have to avoid like where can this stuff go um designing what else here that am i missing um any kind of you know equipment or anything like that figuring out physically how it'll fit in there like designing the site in that way um restriping potentially if they're like reconfiguring parking spaces um so not only, you know, making those engineering judgments of what makes sense kind of as a as an EV driver, which I think is why we need more EV drivers just in this industry in general, because you have a better kind of mindset of <laughs> how, how a site needs to look as a driver. <laughs> yeah. So not only doing that, but also, you know, are these meeting all the local requirements? And that is the big sticker for a lot of these sites and why they take forever is because there's a constant back and forth in this engineering process of designing something, you know, sending it back to people for approvals. They reject things or want to change things. It goes back to design and engineering. That process can go on for months, if not, you know, six months to a year, depending on how long things are going back and forth. <laughs> so, um and that's, and that's generally because there's some kind of, you know, dispute on something that could be, you know, a land dispute where it's like, oh, we have to like encroach by a couple feet to fit this equipment in. And that goes into somebody else's property. That person doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want that equipment on their property. So they're going to reject it. They have to completely reconfigure the site. Like it could keep going back and forth depending on what you uncover. Um, once you get to, you know, and then, you know, at the end of the day, the local city 
generally people call it the AHJ, which is authority having jurisdiction. So like who, who has the final approval on that site plan? <clears throat> so like if you see like, is it Marco RPT on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to need some water, yeah. too. <laughs> oh, no, you're <laughs> Got good. Got myself yeah. going. <laughs> yeah, no, Marco's the, uh, is a fantastic uh, Twitter. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I don't know him personally, but um, I love find, or like seeing what he's finding with like the Tesla permits and the yeah. superchargers. And, and he runs the Rivian one as well. Um, gotcha, really okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Keeps him busy, <clears throat> I'm sure. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But yeah, if you, if you follow him on um, Twitter or kind of see the stuff that, that he posts, that is like the ahj is like generally who is issuing those like here's the permit that's been filed like from tesla so like oh, it's sometimes the random town it might be a township it might be a city like whatever um they get those plan sets and say like oh these are in the permitting phase where we as the ahj are reviewing these and making sure they meet all the requirements so mm, okay States like Ohio and some of these in the Midwest aren't as strict where it's like, hey, as long as you, you know, have all the parking spots here and like they're striped properly and things are measured the right size, you're good. Other states, California especially, <clears throat> is very strict on, you know, do you have ADA spots with these charging spaces? Like, are these a proper size for like van accessibility? Like, they are very much, you know, like making sure they're catering to all types of drivers, which I think is good, but it can also slow down permitting because there's way more restrictions and way more things you have to consider when you're designing the site. So yeah, that again is another thing that can slow things down. So just out of curiosity, because it always blows my mind how Arco <laughs> finds all these permits and yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine trying to monitor every single state. Right. The <laughs> a, a, and now I'm going to get tripped up saying that AHG, AHJ, right? Yes. G? Yeah. J. Okay. AHJ. Do, is that like kind of like a universal type of platform that like if anybody wanted to find like a permit, say for like something where in Connecticut, they could search for it in there? It's not like the Google of permitting? I don't think so. Um, AHJ is just a kind of like industry term, I guess, for authority having jurisdiction. It. So it's not like a database where you could like comb through. So oh, okay. I don't yeah. know Mark Marco's methodology for finding these. <laughs> I assume what he does is looks at the like coming soon page on Tesla's website. And then, you know, if there's a town name or something in there, mm, he'll then true. go to the local yeah. one and find, okay, like, I need to just check this every couple of days to see, has something been filed with this town for a charging site? So Got it. Okay. That's generally where it, how, I'd assume that's how it's happening, but I'd be curious to hear, <laughs> hear Marco's yeah, side maybe, of it, because I'm maybe, impressed maybe as we, well. <laughs> yeah, it blows my mind, and maybe we can get him on the show. Like, I just yeah. think about, like, the one he found a permit for Willowick, Ohio, and yeah. that's not even on Tesla's website for a location. Really? Yeah, so, so I, I yeah, I will have to, I'll, I'll DM him, I'm sure we can get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if he wants to spill his secrets, he's very right. good at what he does. Right. <laughs> so... But anyways, so um, I was just curious because I know some people might be interested in learning where they could find permits, but I have no yeah. advice on where they can find that. I mean, they're all public. That is, that is the thing. Once it kind of enters permitting, it's then in kind of the public sphere. So your local town, your township, whatever, probably has a local you know permit page where you can log in. You don't even have to log in sometimes. It's just publicly available where it says like, oh, permit filed for like a road widening or permit filed for 
you know, a new business going in or new commercial building, like all of that stuff is just publicly available. Cause like the public kind of has a right to know that something's going in, in their town. Yeah. Um, but that's where they can, you know, see all that stuff. So that is also kind of brings us to the next side of it. Like as it's going through permitting, sometimes you also need like either like city council's approval or like that's mm-hmm. what you see sometimes these like, oh, this charging site is going before the board or going before council to get approved. So that's when you have, you know, if you've seen Parks and Rec when they have like those town <laughs> those town meetings and people are all like mad about something and you have a big group <laughs> of people come out and like denounce or like say we don't want this here that can sometimes slow things down as well so that is another hurdle you have to overcome if like people come out and kind of voice their opinion on things that could sway you know a council's vote on whether or not it is approved or not so got it okay another another hurdle to go over (laughs) yeah but but that's everything that's not just ev charging right 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 okay yeah but you know some things are less controversial than others some it's like oh we're just you know putting in you know a new building in this vacant lot that's just been sitting here for 10 years whereas you know putting in fast charging in a um a congested area already people might get mad about that because they're like oh this will bring more traffic and more parking issues and whatever else so really you know it kind of depends on the situation of how how the public responds (laughs) Okay, interesting. So yeah, that adds another layer to mm-hmm. complexity there. Yeah. And all of that is prior to even putting a shovel in the ground as well. So like, <laughs> has to go through, you know, so to review, we went through, you know, like initial site survey, engineering design, permitting, um, approval. Once it's approved, you know, stamp sealed, signed, whatever, then that's when you can actually, you know, put a shovel in the ground and start construction. Once you get to that point, it's usually pretty straightforward, but also like a lot of these um, engineering drawings, like generally when you're adding onto a new site, you may be working with drawings that are 50, 60 years old from when the utilities were originally installed. You don't always know what you're going to find when you go on site and actually start digging under things. So (laughs) (laughs) another thing that could, yeah, Yeah. another thing that could... Sounds oh, like home right. improvement. You know, the yeah. further you dig into things, the worse things get. Exactly. <laughs> so, so another yeah. thing that could delay, you know, the eventual installation of anything is, oh, we hit a water pipe we didn't know was here. <laughs> like, oh, no. who knows what you could run into when you're actually yeah. out on site. If something got changed or moved and just wasn't reflected in drawings properly, like, you don't always know until you start digging into things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Man, yeah, that sounds just like home improvement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm so trying to think of what else after that, unless you have yeah. any more questions on that process. <laughs> well, so uh, I'm I'm assuming uh, this is just a big assumption, but if the install is probably the fastest process, right? I mean, not like I'm not talking about like installing like you know like the transformers or some of like the end bits. Yeah. You know, as this conversation, like the physical probably, work, if you will. Yeah, is that typically the fastest for? I would say most installs. In the grand scheme of like a big project, um, if everything goes smoothly, like I said, you don't hit a water pipe, you don't like, you don't yeah. run into some <laughs> issues on site. If everything kind of goes as planned, it's designed as planned. Yes, the actual, you know, like construction piece is probably one of the shorter, you know, timelines for that stuff. Again, it's like when other parties are involved, if like you're waiting on a transformer, but like actually, you know, 
pouring a concrete pad, setting a charger, putting in conduit, like all of that stuff, like electricians are awesome. Like they know what they're doing. They can install that stuff pretty quickly. Um, yeah. It's the, it's like painting in your house, I guess. It's the prep and like all the setup that takes all the time. Actually, you know, rolling the paint on doesn't take too much time. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> pretty similar. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. With no, you're good. I'm trying to think of what's next here. So, like, after construction is complete, um, let's say, you know, utilities all good. Like, they, they're ready to turn it on. Then you get into kind of the, the activation piece, which is more like the software side of things, um, where it's, like, getting the station online and running so that people can actually, you know, like, have a charging session at the site. Mm-hmm. Um that sometimes can can be a long process depending on what network you're working with. Um, if you know, if it's an EVgo or Electrify America site, they kind of run their own thing, so they can probably activate those pretty quickly. But if it's a you know another you know smaller network, it might take longer because it's a more manual process to you know get the site added, get the the site owner onboarded, something like that. Really depends on kind of what the network situation is there to get all of that stuff online, but. Our, uh, that's one thing that I like about, you know, our company is like our onboarding and like site activation process is like instant. Like as soon as it's installed, you can activate it same day, which is really awesome. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, it's, it's always intrigued me. I mean, this is kind of like in my realm yeah. now with like what I do with charge. Right. So yeah, it, it's, it's always been really interesting to see how long a certain station that is live shows up in like a certain network data. Right. Sometimes it's instant. Other times yeah. it takes a month. <laughs> like it just depends. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's cool to hear. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's it. After it's, you know, powered on, everything works. Like you're kind of into, you know, any kind of initial troubleshooting. If stuff doesn't turn on properly, that can sometimes take a while too. Like if something is you know, a char- you don't realize a charger is damaged and it like keeps tripping itself out or, you know, might have issues charging a car initially. Like there might be some initial troubleshooting steps, um, which is when you see, you know, a station go online and then instantly offline like a week later. That might be oh. why like it just has run into okay. issues like either was like damaged during shipping or like it was a, de- or a what do you call that? Um, like a defunct kind of unit where it like just had some kind of issue with it. So that can happen as well. Definitely something I think the the industry as a whole needs to get a lot better at is like just more reliable equipment in general. Um, but you know, something you have to deal with, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's just another piece of things that will just improve over right. time. You know. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this. A lot of this technology is still relatively new. You right. know. So yeah, it'll just get better. But. No, that, all that, like, yeah, that really, now I feel like I need to go to a site and just, like, analyze it. People are probably going to be like, what is he doing standing in the parking lot? Like, you got to get a high-vis vest and a hard hat and nobody watching you. So, I've got one well, you can borrow. We'll go out oh, with perfect. our hard hats and we, just act like we're important. We should do that during our, our live uh, stream of a uh, site, you know, <laughs> a site review. Yeah. Well, That's why hilarious. do they have microphones? Yeah. <laughs> right. Look like the news. Um, yeah. Oh, that's that's so cool. Well, Alex, thanks for explaining that to to me. Yeah. And to us. You know, yeah. All of our listeners. Hopefully, I got all that right too. Like I said, I'm not like a I'm not a professional engineer. I don't have my like engineering license, but I do have you know a degree in it, and I've worked in the industry a while, so I see a lot of this stuff. I'm not like directly involved all the time. Um, so. 
definitely like if I mess something up, let me know because you know I'm trying to learn this stuff as well as you know Brandon and others are as well. So yeah, definitely let us know what we missed or what we potentially got wrong here. <laughs> but I think well, I got and, most of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it sounds like you got most of it. I know that this was a very high level discussion, so. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a lot more details that we could talk about in a future episode. So, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this this was good information. It helped me, and hopefully, it helped others who are listening. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think is that it. That's it. <laughs> well, I I say go go check out some sites. Go look That's at right. how they're installed and. Uh, yeah. Uh, just okay so actually no i do have one last question so <laughs> if somebody is going out there and looking at a site you know it's it's live and they're just curious to like kind of see how things are set up would they if they had questions would it be better for them to reach out to like the network regarding that or would they reach out to like their local municipality like how would something like that go yeah it would depend on where the the question is i guess <laughs> um <laughs> And again, kind of back to my, uh, when I was talking about like who owns the transformer or who owns certain pieces of equipment, I didn't really touch on that too much, but like sometimes it depends on the site too, of like where the delineation is between a utility and the charging network, like who owns what. Um, and even sometimes like below ground stuff, I know sometimes like sites will, you know, the charging equipment is owned by the network, the utility stuff like the switch gear transform is owned by the utility and then like conduit and below ground stuff is owned by the site owner and it's like this weird delineation of stuff so i think it really depends on what you're talking about i'd say in general the physical charging equipment like the stuff you interact with as a driver is probably like going to the network or the charger manufacturer but then anything on the you know the meter the you know utility transform or anything like that is probably going to be the utility so got it okay really really depends there but yeah okay cool well i i thought this was a great episode (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad we're doing this in the morning i'm more awake (laughs) so (laughs) definitely cool so hope that was valuable for everybody again if you you have any questions or things you want us to explore more on the show definitely let us know And we'll catch you guys in the next episode.